Hello and welcome to The Roadmap, a tech law podcast from the commercial technology team here at Bristow's. My name is Annika Paul. Joining me today is the head of our practice group, Toby Crick. Toby has in-depth experience advising clients on procurement strategies and on innovative international outsourcing deals. Toby is a trustee of the UK Society for Computers and Law and lectures widely on IT, e-commerce, cloud computing, agile software development and outsourcing, including at iTech Law, University College London and Queen Mary University of London. Toby, thanks for making time to chat. Thank you, Annika. It's, it's, it's good to be on the podcast again. And uh, thanks for that intro. Amazing. Over the years, we've covered a number of different topics on the roadmap that predominantly focus on digital transformation projects. In particular, back in 2022, we recorded an episode that looked at why digital transformation projects fail and what to do in terms of managing the disputes that arose in those circumstances. Today, Toby and I will discuss how to manage projects as they start to go wrong and try and avert failure, avoid disputes and work out a sensible way forward. We'll be discussing troubled projects, which are projects where you're having problems, but you're not yet in litigation territory. It's important to note that we're not just talking about digital transformation projects today, but any project at all, and certainly any kind of IT project. Absolutely. And I think any project at all has problems and ranging from renovating your kitchen to a massive digital transformation project and more personally to our discussion, you know, even more run of the mill IT delivery projects. The certainty is stuff will go wrong in inverted commas. It's just about being prepared to manage that, which which I know we're going to come on to. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that everything goes wrong on some fundamental level. And the key is trying to anticipate what those issues may be and how you're going to deal with them. Having a contract and a relationship between the parties that allows those issues to be sensibly and pragmatically dealt with. I know, Toby, that often what we see is this really adversarial procurement process And often that adversarial procurement process feels like a win at the time when you get the best price and the toughest commitments. But if you set up an adversarial relationship and go into then cooperative delivery, there's ultimately this mismatch and contractual mismatch between the need to work closely and share risk together and then working with an adversarial contract in the background. Absolutely right. That, that, That mismatch point is so often the root cause of what has gone wrong. If you've, if you've forced a low price on your supplier or you've forced your supplier to commit to rapid timelines because you've set expectations internally, this is talking from the customer perspective, you're going into a deal where the customer is trying to recover that low price and trying to avoid the ramifications of committing to deadlines it might not be able to, to meet. Now, fine to challenge your vendor, of course. And then conversely, you get situations where vendors put very advantageous contractual terms to them in place with their customer. And then stuff starts to go wrong and the customer's just looking at this contract. Perhaps they should have looked at it better before. And they're saying, well, well hold on a second. You're at fault, but I'm having to pay, pay for this. And then uh, what should be a discussion about how you sort a problem out that is affecting you both becomes an adversarial discussion very fast because it instantly has a price tag attached to it. So this concept of watch out for an adversarial or one-sided contract applies equally to customers and suppliers because many of the times customers come to us, as you know, Annika, they, they've kind of signed up to a deal or a deal has been signed up to, perhaps without any legal oversight at all, and the terms are very, very one-sided on the, for the supplier. It's basically a time and materials contract to show up and do work with no real commitments. 
And that's not ideal. But as you say, sometimes you get this very adversarial procurement-led approach where the supplier is just bleeding cash from day one. And then again, it's you're on a hiding to a dispute. Toby, you and I have been advising quite a bit on the later type of deal where there is a lot of cash blood. <laughs> um, and we've been advising clients that have found themselves in hot water. Um, I think that you and I thought that it would be useful to distill out hours upon hours of discussions, calls, and contractual analysis into some key points. Yeah. We would like to help the listeners of The Roadmap get back on track with their troubled projects as quickly and hopefully pain-free as possible. I think that's a good point. And what we, we don't want to sort of start casting blame in this, in this discussion, just as you don't <laughs> want to start casting blame when people come to see you. The first point we, we talked about is, is going back to that cliche um, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. And I think we just touched on that in the introduction. You have a situation um, where the parties, and as often as not the buying party, hasn't really thought through what it wants, hasn't really thought through what its timelines are, hasn't really thought about what the outcomes it wants to achieve are in any form of detail, and is just perhaps buying a solution that then needs to be integrated into its wider business is a classic example. And the solution works on paper and the solution probably works on a technical level, but it works in the lab. Combining that system with the reality of the complexities of a customer's business, customer's systems, customer's legacy stack in the digital world is really hard and complicated. And that's before you even get to data migration and all the other stuff that goes on. And if you just sign up to something where you haven't appraised the issues, you haven't thought about how long it will take, which means you haven't realistically thought about how much it will cost, you're going to be in trouble. And then the other side of that is where people really want to get the deal done and have almost lied to themselves about how hard it will be and how much it will cost. And obviously lie is a very pejorative word, but kidded themselves perhaps is a nicer way of saying it. But either way, call it what you will, they have been naive about how much it will cost and how long it will take. And so they're going into a deal without really having planned for the project. And that takes us back to the cliche that increases the likelihood of failure. So as the old proverb goes, you, you, know, you shouldn't be starting from there. You should be starting from a better place. But, and I think this is our next point, the other side, the other end of the telescope, if you like, is the over-engineered contract. And I know you were going to touch on that. Yeah, I completely agree, Toby. I think the other thing that sometimes we don't see is just an acknowledgement that there will be change in a project. Absolutely. There'll be changes to requirements as different customer requirements emerge and the organization itself requires change. Often we also see the need for change quite early on in the life of the contract as the parties go through the discovery process together. I think that's right. I think a well-structured project, and again, we're not talking about how to structure projects, a well-structured project will have a process for a discovery phase before you get into the really expensive bit of incurring costs. But but many of the projects that are, find themselves troubled have gone in without that. There's a tight budget, there's a tight timeline. And then, and then when stuff happens, as stuff always does, instead of it being stuff that happens, it is seen as stuff that's gone wrong. And so if when that happens, or as it starts to happen, you can just take, take a moment and say, this isn't a breach of contract, it isn't going wrong, this is the inevitability of managing a complex project, let's be grown up about it, let's make space for dialogue. Now, of course, if you've got no budget, or it really is a hard, hard, hard timeline, you know, 
you need to think long and hard about what you do. And that's where in agile software development, the concept of the MVP comes in. You might make the MVP even even smaller to, to be able to deliver something on time. And then at least you know where you are and you've got something valuable out of it. The other old chestnut that we see, Toby, is that often people have these amazing, robust contracts that will give the customer a whole bunch of rights that they've obtained during an adversarial procurement process, including a formal change control process. But then the contract gets put in a drawer. While there is no perfect system, we strongly recommend that you actually do follow your contract. I, I absolutely. I mean, what we would, you know, that's our job. That's what we've spent, you know, years and years and years practicing and advising clients on. But you, you're right. And again, the one class of projects that goes wrong is where there's insufficient planning, insufficient contract, as we've just discussed. The other one is where it's all been done and it's just been ignored. And that says a lot about an organization where that's happened. And the number of times where a deal's gone so wrong, it's gone escalated to legal. And then your first question is, well, did you do this? No. Did you do that? No. Did you do the other? No. They've not done any of the things, no one has done any of the things that you're meant to do to minimize the risk of projects going awry. The early warning systems, the change procedures, the boring project management that is vital to make things work. And I think, you know, it's, it, it's not question of needing lots of lawyers to help manage the contract if you've got that the contract is wrong and 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 the other another reason things go wrong the contract's so complicated and over-engineered and ivory tower lawyered no one reads it because it doesn't make any sense in the real world you have to make sure that that contract reflects reality you have to make sure that the teams delivering it know what their obligations are and the contract the, the people managing delivery have some training on how to use the tools that we've left all over the contract to manage a supplier. And conversely, the supplier team has the tools to manage the customer. And that's really important. And one of the best tools out there is actually just plain old communication. Fully. <laughs> Having a dialogue and escalation process rather than getting into a flurry of emails because something maybe went wrong, just sit down together, try and figure it out have an open and honest conversation. And we can't stress how important this is to actually have those conversations throughout the process rather than at the very end once you realise that an issue is bigger than Ben-Hur. I've never heard of that expression before, but bigger than Ben-Hur is awesome. I'm going to add it to my my, my, repo, my repertoire of, uh, um, of idioms. That is absolutely right. And I think, I think, I think we're going to come on to it, but this this relates to the importance of dialogue. So if you've got a contract that has mechanisms to allow these things to happen, use them. If you've got a contract that has light remedies, tap, wraps on the knuckles that can be applied by the supplier and the customer, escalations to senior management to let them know that stuff is going wrong so they can sort of follow that analogy, give people a clip round the ear to get them to behave properly together. You need to, you need to be escalating those things. You need to be having that dialogue. So if you've got the contract tools, use them. And whether you have them or you don't, I think, Annika, as, as we're going to come on to discuss, once you realise there's an issue, you must start to flag it up through the channels. And if those channels exist, use them. If they don't exist, informally create them. And I think there is this horrible thing that happens of defensive and aggressive behaviour because people don't want to own up to their own failures. People are terrified in this market in particular of being blamed and fired or being made redundant. So many people involved in these projects are on short-term contracts anyway. So everyone lives in fear and fear does not encourage open, honest discussion of mistakes. 
So one of the ways that you can minimize some of that fear is actually to build a little bit of wiggle room into your budget upfront, mm -hmm. at least a margin of error and also potentially a degree of innovation that can occur um, without completely blowing out the entire project. So there are obviously different ways to price a deal. And the two most common are generally fixed pricing and time and materials based pricing. And each will carry their own risk if the project lands in hot water. Absolutely right. And, and, and I think above all, right, having some wiggle room, even if only the customer knows there's wiggle room in its budget, is important because any project needs that. As you say, whether it's TNM or fixed price. And let's get into that. I think, you know, logically, TNM, you know, you time and materials, you know, the more work you do, the more you get paid. There is a clear incentive, therefore, to do as much work as possible. People often say that to us when we're in a negotiation. Oh, you're just arguing this point because you know, the meter's running. And then you often have to point out to them that actually their colleague in legal has us on a capped fee and we're working for free to let the deal close because we like them so much. And you have that own sort of banter, quasi-negotiation with your clients. And I think the same applies in these, these, these deals. There is a TNM budget, but usually there is firm pricing, whatever it wants to be called, there's some kind of estimate around. But if there isn't any kind of estimate, yes, the customer is at risk of paying over the odds for delivery. So in the TNM context, it would be extremely bad business not to have at least some assumptions and estimate estimates, ideally a capped fee, which can be burst if those estimates go through. And then you have uh, those, those estimates are exceeded. You have a basis on which to charge more after a discussion, not just charging a client and charging a client and charging a client. The principle of no surprises must apply. Then you have fixed price. And a fixed price model says, I'll deliver this much work for this much money. Change always happens. You have to manage that. And if the fixed price is too low, the supplier will start to lose money and that will start to make the project go wrong. And we're not talking about how you set up to avoid that. We're talking about, okay, this has happened. So all of us have seen deals where it's TNM and it's just, just the runaway train. Now, how do you pull that back under control? And that is just a money problem, ultimately. And you just have to figure out how you're going to solve that by doing less, getting some kind of pain share. So you say, all right, it's taking longer than we all thought. We'll, you give us X hundred hours for free. And then after that, we'll pay you again, whatever, whatever, whatever mechanism you have to work it out. But if you've got a fixed price scenario, and the project starts getting much more complicated. You can have very serious fallouts, and the, the disputes that get to court are often where there's a fixed price, and the supplier is saying, "Pay me more because you, customer, did not do all of these things, and therefore it's costing me more to do." And that is a very interesting, and you get hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of pages of judgments from judges on exactly those issues. But that comes back to poor project management throughout, and sometimes. To poor contract agreement at the beginning you've been too aggressive on price because sometimes it costs more because it is harder and more complicated but frankly that's the supplier's problem because the supplier oversold something or was overconfident about its ability to live, deliver sometimes it's because the customer has failed to do its side of the bargain but the supplier's never told anyone the customer's failed to do it so it comes back to your point earlier we were making about communication so you know, sure, in a perfect world, you'd have a proof of concept that you would work on at risk or on a time and materials basis. And that would then give you a much clearer idea of how the cost of the project would end up working out. So it should reduce the risk of the, the price mismatch happening. 
But I think you need to, as you said right at the top, you need to have some leeway in the budget because stuff will happen and stuff will go wrong. And so whether you're on a TNM budget with some kind of loose estimate, a TNM budget with a cap or a fixed fee budget, you need to have some space, some breathing room for the project to succeed, some space for people to own up that stuff's gone wrong and not be punished for it. Another way to price a deal is to link payment to performance so that fees, for example, subscription or termination fees are payable, even if a project never completes. Yeah, this is, this is kind of a sidebar scenario. And I think we're talking about it now because it happened a couple of times at the end of end of 23, <laughs> when we were working on some projects where, and this is very canny, a technology business says, here is my subscription terms for my SaaS platform. And you sign up to a three-year subscription. And then they say, and here is my professional services terms. And you sign up to a fixed price or a TNM project to install and get it to work. And the project doesn't work. And it either doesn't work because their software is not very good, or it doesn't work because the customer organization isn't very good, or it doesn't work because just it's much more complicated to install than anyone realized. And it, sometimes it doesn't work because the customer organization decides to go a different way. It could be any of those things, or a, a myriad of things could go, could have happened. So you say, how do I get out of the professional services agreement? You go, well, you know, you can serve notice. You can serve notice on, oh, that means another three months fees you have to pay to, to terminate. And the customer goes, oh, okay. And you go, but, but over here, you've committed to a million dollars a year in subscription fees or $10 million a year in subscription fees for three years. And there is no way out of that agreement. So suddenly a scenario where you're thinking, do I pay them three months fees and then they go quietly? Or do I have a negotiation to pay them a bit less than that and they go quietly? Has to turn into a discussion about breach. And instead of going, Okay, let's reach an agreement. I'll pay you some money to go away. I get nothing. You get a bunch of cash. Too bad. You are looking at reasons to scare them into agreeing to terminate that subscription agreement. Now, if the client had come to us in the first place, we would have said, well, no, that three-year fee only bites once acceptance of the system or go-live of the system has happened. And invariably a sales organization wants to recognize revenue ASAP, but they will agree to that point because it's not a risky point for them. They're getting paid for the TNM work, whatever happens. And then on go live, they get their three years of revenue. Potentially you agree a test license fee to cover the period during testing. You know, there is a commercial deal to be done, which means you don't have the wrong incentives of, I have to find you to be in breach so that I can avoid paying the license fee for the next three years. It sets a procurement to go wrong really badly if it goes wrong a bit. Because if it goes wrong a bit, there ought to be a way to negotiate your way to a peaceful conclusion. But if you've got this sort of Damocles above your, your head, your commercial head, that you're going to have to pay out this money for software you'll never use, that just creates a toxic vibe in the whole relationship and should be avoided. So talking about that, Toby, today we've been focusing on projects that aren't litigious yet, merely troubled. But if that toxic vibe suddenly turns into some pretty deep troubled waters, then our clients may want to reconsider the risk of taking on litigation. So some of the things that you and I have discussed with clients will touch on practical matters like taking care of the documents and correspondence with the other side. Please don't put anything too damning into writing. Well, this is true. And I think obviously the, the podcast, one of the early podcasts we did in this series in 22, 
you know, our litigation colleagues who do nothing but fight these battles uh, in the commercial court sometimes, uh, and certainly in paper before it gets to court, had had a lot to say on that. And that, you know, if, if you're in that stage, if you're in that bit of the funnel of of a, of a troubled project, do give that podcast a listen. But I think that the headlines are, you know, you must have open, honest discussions, but don't give away your entire position by conceding everything is your fault in writing. If you're getting to the point where you need to have a really frank discussion or you want to make threats, be really careful about accidentally terminating the agreement. And what I mean here is if you are so aggressive, whether as a customer or a supplier, there is a risk that the other party will turn around and say, you have, and this is legalese, terminated the contract by repudiation. And then they sue you for wrongful termination. And suddenly you're on the back foot in any dispute. They might go round the contract to sue you for damages. So be careful what you say, but not too careful. You've got to have open discussion, but don't give the game away. Avoid being too aggressive in case you end up with a repudiation situation. If you are looking at litigation, you have to, you have a duty to the court or to the arbitrators, whatever, to preserve documents. So start keeping the documents, gathering the documents, gathering the evidence because you will have to share it. And then there is this thing called without prejudice correspondence. And I'm I'm not going to give legal advice on without prejudice correspondence here. But in essence, there is a legal process where you can have a frank and open discussion that won't be disclosed to court. So you can say, okay, we did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, and we'll pay you X to go quietly. You never want that to be in front of a judge. So there is a process around that. So just be careful about when you make offers and how you make offers. And I think really... That's something to bear in mind as projects go wrong, but don't get overly litigious overly quickly. But the other thing is tell the internal legal team early. And if you don't have a legal team, have a chat with an external lawyer early. It probably won't cost you anything, that initial chat. A sensible private practice lawyer would say, sounds like this is what's happening. Here's some top tips to manage the process. Come back if you need proper help. Take a pause, work out a strategy and go from there. But hopefully... If you manage stuff going wrong properly from the beginning, which is with your eyes open, knowing it will go wrong, you'll be managing it in a friendly, open way. That means you never need to get to that point. Toby, this has been a fascinating discussion, as always. Thank you, Annika. It was great to distill some of our months of work down into helpful guidance. Uh, Thank you for joining me. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, download and share this podcast. We want to make the roadmap as practical and informative as possible for you and your business. If you have any ideas, suggestions or feedback on this or future episodes, shoot us an email at theroadmap@bristos.com or use the hashtag theroadmappod. Thanks for listening and we'll be back with the next episode soon.